This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for September 20th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. And while you're at it, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. You could follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says Sponsor of This Podcast, and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It is your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm solo this week. Case Low is on assignment. And let's just get into it. This week on the program, I'm going to talk all about uh, Dangerous Gate 2022, which happened yesterday, the 19th of September, from Oda City Gymnasium. And just off the top, just big picture thoughts. I was really impressed with this show. Uh, You could get my written thoughts up at VoicesOfWrestling.com. I took care of the written review for it this week. Uh, It was something that... I don't know necessarily if I think it was that much better than last year's uh, Dangerous Gate show, but it did feel like, in a lot of ways, at least for me personally, that the company was really getting stuff together. And it does feel like that the focus and this overwhelming focus towards the uh, towards the future, towards the uh, young generation of wrestlers, was on full display in uh, Oda City. On Monday, I mean, let's just look at it this way. You have two literal rookies as of the time of the show. Semi-main eventing a big five show after, you know, Mochizuki Jr. was two months in. And semi-main eventing Kobe World and did not look a step out of step. And you can go up and down the show. I mean, Yuki Oshioka is still under 30 and now is further cemented. As the uh, twin, as the open the Dreamgate champion, and I just came away with it from the show. I I don't think it hit the absolute peaks of Kobe World Weekend, but if I were to take a Dragon Gate Big Five show like top to bottom, I think I'd take Dangerous Gate over the ones they've had so far this year. I mean, it's something that it I I really think this year and. Since the end of the three-way unit war in 2020, it's taken a while for them to kind of 
get the next full focus, I want to say. I mean, think about it in respects of most of last spring was just doing stuff until Masato Yoshino retired while R.A.D. and Masquerade were having the feud of the year in the promotion. And it just was not necessarily, like, focus in a certain direction, maybe. But I feel like that that really was the case here. And especially Yuki Yoshioka coming out of Dangerous Gate, especially considering the kind of match he had, is uh, it's going to be an interesting Dreamgate run for him. And especially with this direction that Yoshioka has talked about a lot. He wants to be the person responsible of filling up buildings. He wants to be the person at the charge as champion. It was something that he brought up even in the lead-up to him winning the title at Kobe World against Kai about needing, like, a valiant champion. So, business-wise, attendance was 1790, which I think is kind of remarkable. I know last week on the show, Case was higher than I was on attendance. I was expecting 1,200 to 1,400, so a drop from last year, and that's, I mean... Looking at how the how the company was in Tokyo, I mean they, they're they're a bit off their cork and peak with the current uh, regulations. So seventeen ninety that is up two hundred and eighty seats from last year at Otis A Gymnasium. So I think that that's a huge uh, feather in Yuki Oshoka's um, cap. I do think a lot of that also is helped out by Ata being in his first Dreamgate match since losing the title. And having it in Tokyo where Noah runs a whole lot, so it gives a lot of reason for it to draw. But it's still out uh, drawing Yamato, which is something that I was not confident at all about that. And I kind of wonder if we are now kind of approaching a point where I know that we've talked before on the show and through our coverage about how Dragon Gate uh, cycles through fans and it's something that fans discover the promotion they find their people they are incredibly devoted to their guy and maybe we are really seeing a point where a generation change is happening especially considering Yuki Oshioka just outsold Yamato the ace of the company in the same building as champion and I, I do think that I look at the uh, top three matches from last year. I mean, you had Diamante versus Shun Skywalker in a shortened referee stoppage match because Shun uh, was tweaked his knee in the lead up there. You had uh, Susumi Okoska and the then King Shimizu defeating Strong Machine J and Strong Machine K for the Twin Gates in your semi main event. And then you also had Yamato and Kota Minonora. So. It's something that this was a stronger card, and it drew with that as well. And it's something that going back to the idea of these generation shifts, I just think about uh, looking into the crowd, especially on these live full production shows like uh, Dangerous Gate is. And you kind of take a step back, and you're seeing a whole lot of Yuki Yoshioka signs, a whole lot of decourage stuff, decourage does really feel like the most popular act in the company and talking with people who go to shows definitely is translating there and you're not seeing as many signs for your Yamatos, your Naruki Doys that you once did so I wonder if we're in the midst of a generational shift in terms of the fan base it's something that I personally 
was wondering what was going to happen when this would finally happen when the older wrestlers would kind of be phased out and then you'd have the younger stars and seeing how the fan base responds to that and at least for yesterday and at least for dangerous gate it seems like it's taking uh it's not like that yuki yoshioka is really uh destroying box offices but he's showing good solid steady growth and i think that that's something that as this promotion is moving to its true second generation yuki yoshioka already having the ability to draw this compellingly and yes against Aita but still he is the champion and the fact that you're getting a good jump in Oda City Gymnasium tells you a whole lot and I think that that's very encouraging just to put that attendance number into a context for everyone else this 1790 is the highest non Bushi Road attendance in this building since COVID uh, regulations first truly hit in uh, March of 2020. So it, it's interesting. It, it's something that after the re- really disappointing Kobe World Weekend numbers, the fact that uh, Dragon Gate went in there, went into a place that uh, out of their big five shows, Dangerous Gate is treated like a deal, but it, it, it's something that when I think about Dragon Gate shows and big shows. It's towards the back of the big five. I mean, I I would probably put each of uh, Kobe World, Dead or Alive, uh, Gate of Destiny, and Final Gate ahead of it. And they're doing well in a place that is not always their uh, big focus. Just to run down the attendance figures we've seen in, in Odyssey Gymnasium since uh, COVID regulations hit. Uh, day five of the G5, the G5, the G1. Wow, this is what happens when the case is not here. I'll just call it the G5 Climax. But day five of G1 Climax, uh, 32 on July 24th, had 2518 in the building. And it does kind of feel like that it's, that's probably i i've checked with people that it was not published as a super no vacancy with that but that is the high watermark there and dragon gate 1790 up 280 from last year up massively from 2020 but 2020 had a, a lot more severe restrictions of course dragon gate did this with the clap crowd rule so that there was no 50 percent uh attendance cap like uh, ddt and the cyber fight promotions had earlier this month or earlier this summer in the promotion my other big picture thoughts coming out of dangerous gate uh i felt like other than the zebrats natural vibes match having the fake skywalker that i'll get into in a bit i thought that everything was kind of what i expected at least storyline wise i mean it was clear that this was not going to be any sort of a disbands match for Zebrats and Natural Vibes. I do really think that that's coming in the future, but I I thought that that did exactly what I expected they would do to uh, build up that feud until Shun is back in in Japan or actual Shun is back here. I just don't think you can do that sort of blow off without the uh, Prime Instigator being around. Uh, Kung Fu Masters. It does not 
feel as certain as it did not even a week ago about the long-term future of Kung Fu Masters. It was something that they made a big deal about them appearing outside of Kobe for the first time and with uh, Jackie Funky Kame and Jason Lee's Twin Gate champions. Felt like that they had some momentum. I felt like that there was a chance, albeit small or unlikely, given the four that are in that group. But it felt like, okay, Natural Vibes is feuding with the heel unit. That usually means, when it reaches this kind of stakes, it usually means that the face unit's going to lose the disbands match. And it was pretty easy to see how Kung Fu Masters could take that spot. But went 0-2 on the night. Uh, Dragon Dai and Madoka Kakuda are, are the only new champions coming out of Dangerous Gate. They defeated Kung Fu Masters in the opener. And then later on in the night... Um, Shuji Kondo and Toro Washi beat Hoho Lun and Super Shinlog the third. So it's something where maybe this was like a back to reality for this group and needing to pull Jason and JFK over into whatever is happening with the Z Brats and Natural Vibes feuds makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, the result of the Triangle Gate with uh, M3K retaining and we finally coming and getting some peace, breaking some bread, the Mochizuki and Ahashi family, uh, Ishan Ruki in the post-match, uh, pretty much begged Masaki Mochizuki to induct Ishan Ahashi as a new member of M3K. Mochi wasn't super into it because of how much of a blood feud it was between the sons, but willing to give it a shot, give it a trial run, and you know, now that the first year of Ishin Ahashi's career is over and they've told this excellent story, I think that's really cool that they that that's the possible direction. And if M3K are ever going to be more than this is a runway to get Mochizuki Jr. the most over possible, just cribbing off his dad's legacy and that heel unit, it, if they want this uh, stable to actually mean more than that, you're going to need to have some youth injections there. And it, it's something that if you really look at how M3K is when Masaki Mochizuki is around and when it isn't, they kind of need that because there is Kanda and Susumu, for as great as they are, when you have them in junior as your M3K representation, it just doesn't feel very good, I guess. It just doesn't feel as like comfortable as one would hope. However, now that there is at least on a trial run, Ishinahashi teaming with them, I mean, I think that that could be really cool. I think that whatever storyline they want to follow up with the conclusion of Ishin year one, I think that uh, the, there's going to be ways that Mochizuki Jr. and Ishinahashi are going to be linked throughout their 10 years in this promotion. So, Having the big feud and then teaming up is what they really like doing, and it'll be cool to see, at least starting in Kobe on Friday, how that is going with them. Support for Open the Voice Gate this week comes to us from HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why they're America's number one meal kit and... I'll be honest with y'all, I've been a bit of a road dog in 
last month or so, basically, since before All Out. And the frustrating thing about that, at least for me, is I don't want to go grocery shopping when I know that I'm going to be going out of town in a couple of weeks or next week. And I don't want to have all this wasted food and waste money at the grocery store. And that's one of the great things about HelloFresh because you get to skip the grocery store and you get all these pre-portioned ingredients there. It's exactly what you need there. And it and for like me right now, it's so easy and convenient for me to just be able to pull the HelloFresh ingredients out of my fridge, grab the recipe card, and just cook them, not worry about wasting money about oh the spinach is going to go bad before i eat it or it just like just being questioning what i need to get to the grocery store hello fresh makes it simple fun and easy and with their fall recipes that they have put out here there's no better time but now to get into hello fresh toasted sesame panko chicken with garlicky kale ginger lime rice and creamy wasabi sauce Get that in my stomach right now. And with, along with other great recipes, like I this one I have not seen with HelloFresh, but I am going to make sure I get this in my next box because this is extremely a uh, Mike Spears meal. Street cart style turkey bowls with yellow rice, white sauce, and pitas. It's almost like going to a halal cart. And it's listed as quick prep, under 20 minutes. And it, you know it's going to have that spice and flavor to get you through your evening and that's just one of the many reasons why we here open the voice gate love hello fresh so if you want to get in on this you need to go to hellofresh.com slash vow16 and use the code vow16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts that's hellofresh.com slash vow16 and promo code vow16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, with all the big picture and business kind of talk over with, let's go through the show match by match. As we like to do on Open the Voice Gate, well, let's start with the main event first. And the main event was, at least for me, this might go down as one of my favorite matches of the year. I don't know if, if it's going to really have the crossover appeal that sometimes Dragon Gate matches need to kind of uh, make it up the, uh, at least the Voices of Wrestling Match of the Year poll, for lack of better words. But this was, I think, one of my favorite matches, one of my favorite Dream Gate matches that they had since last year's Shun Skywalker versus KZ one. But it was Yuki Yoshioka being successful in his second attempt defense of the open the dream gate champion defeating Ata with a frog splash in just under 25 minutes and the thing that really got me about this match is just that it's so fascinating that in the lead up to this Ata has had Yoshioka's number even getting him to submit to the numero uno in Corican earlier this month and then he proceeds to take 19 out of the 24 minutes of this match like it was fascinating because Ata just utterly dominated Yoshioka and it was kind of old school feeling in a way that Ata maybe this isn't a one-to-one comparison but Ata kind of felt like your traveling territorial champion your world champion your Ric Flair's your Dusty Rhodes Terry Fongs whoever else you want to add there but when they would go and make their trips through the NWA, you know, stopping in World Class, Dallas Fort Worth, 
going over to uh, Florida. I don't know why those are the only two ones that are coming to my mind at this very moment, but this champion would come in there and it would build up whatever the local territory's big hot star was, and they would have a title match where you get the crowd so behind this young baby face, but and you kind of grasp onto hope at every moment for them. And it, it's just working those ebbs and flows here. And that's kind of how this was worked. So Ata basically spent 20 minutes of uh, finding every single advantage possible. Just like incredible like heel control. Just being able to do such things like there was a early Tokan hello that uh, Yoshioka was trying to go for. And uh, Daya and Madoka Kakuda worse we're propping up Ata to take this and right as a as yoshioka got in air or launched himself for us Ata just walked away and he crashed into his teammates and it's a little thing and maybe it hurts believability in some in, in some facets of people but i thought that that was uh pretty fascinating and i thought that it was really cleverly done and especially considering that the Dragon Gate Dreamgate matches is not as much as it has in the past, but it still has a reputation from the, Sh- the Shima era of being these just epic matches where it would go 35 minutes. There would be 10 minutes of ring work just starting off that would never go anywhere. And that wasn't the case here. Ata was constantly trying to find every single way to get Yoshioka dis- dismantled. And then Yoshioka would find something to get his himself back into this match. And then soon enough, Ada would cut off and they would rinse and repeat this basically up until one moment in the last five minutes of the match when Ata was going for El Numero Uno and either due to frustration or t- being tired or just egotism, did not quickly apply the hold, so Yuki Oshioka was able to struggle, shift his weight around, try to get out of it, and Eita got it on briefly, but just didn't have the control of it. So he had to make it the El Numero Uno original, which is a pen that he can do out of that. Instead of locking in this hold that he defeated Yoshioka with less than two weeks ago. And from there, they entered the final stage of the match. Ata constantly kind of going for one more thing, going for one more move. Instead of just focusing on the arm, he has to go for or going for more Imperial Uno super kicks. He was just kind of going for it. And that led to a moment where he put Yuki Oshioka on the top rope, cracked him with an Imperial Uno, and he went for what Jay identified on commentary. And for someone like me who was in love with these matches from 2016, he was going for the Salamander, which is this avalanche Costador bomb that in the summer of 2016, the uh, hashtag when Ada got his groove back, period, he was pulling out moves like the Salamander or his super submission, the Apocalypses. And it really kind of was neat because... It was the, the Casador bomb, I remember, from the King of Gate match against Susumu Yokosuka at that time. And it really like felt like, oh, he's going deep into his bag of tricks. These are moves that 
Ata hasn't really done either the Apocalypses or the Salamander since he turned heel, turning on Overgeneration. So he brought those. Uh, he brought the Salamander instead of going back on the arm attack, trying to super kick his head off. And when he did that, that let Yoshioka fight out and do one of the damnedest super darkness busters I've ever seen in my life. And into the uh, closing stretch of the f- with the frog splashes, getting the pen after his second successful one. I went four and a half stars on this. I just was enchanted in a way by this match. It's something that still has all the uh, dragon system accoutrement. It has things you expect. The, the referee is not necessarily the smartest thing. And as long as you distract them with logic, then Nakagawa will be too consumed with turnbuckle pads so you could cheat. And it, there were moments in this match where the crowd was just getting so riled up and for like a clap crowd i think one of the things that at least for me i try to do to uh, uh evaluate responses like of course it's easy if someone just decides i don't care about clap crowds i'm going to scream for yuki yoshioka regardless and that's easy but sometimes you can like feel attention and you can hear the the plotting getting more rhythmic and more focused and maybe that's me trying to read some tea leaves there but there was a moment where uh, Yoshioka fired up after getting destroyed for the better part of the last 20 minutes. And he started doing baseball chops at Ada and headbutting him into the ropes. And the crowd was really getting behind it. And it's something that it's so important that with this future focus, which if there's one phrase to take out of the show, future focus, you're going to need Yuki Yoshioka to get the crowd behind him. And... It seems like time and time again, he has this connection that wasn't necessarily there for your Bing case. And, it, and with Shun Skywalker, it, he didn't really discover his charisma there. But there's something about Yuki Oshioka, and it's something that's really helped him with that. So four and a half stars on that. I really adored this. This is one of the ones that I think will figure in the back half of my top 10 list but i'm gonna try to find a way to make this into my top five i just thought that this was really really cool and just a fascinating way of kind of teleporting a match like i remember one of the uh, vow secret santas i was gifted coco beware facing rick flair for the nwa world's heavyweight championship in memphis and this was a very young coco beware it was like 83 maybe and it was the whole entire match was Flair just getting the crowd riled up, getting behind Coco Beware, and then cutting him off and give him just the glimpse that they could think that their local guy can make him proud the next time. And in a way, the local guy did succeed in that. So the post-match of the main event, uh, Yoshioka cut a promo about how much he really enjoyed this match and had this was the kind of Dreamgate matches he wanted to have and that he, he wanted to uh the, and he wanted to do this again. He wanted to face Ada again. And then and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this towards the end. Uh Ata basically cut a face promo and basically said that he wanted to do this again. He would see him down the road and ask the crowd if they like this hot fighting and he then bowed to all sides of the ring. Again, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. And left. And Yoshioka then stated that he wants, he's decided what kind of path he wants to take with his Dreamgate run. 
And he thinks it's important that as he views himself as this vanguard of Dragon Gate in the future, that he wants to take down former Dreamgate champions. And he did not announce his next opponent. I think that there's a lot of Dreamgate champions that could be interesting, especially given the fact that we are not too far away from Gate of Destiny. I believe Gate of Destiny is... I need to pull up that on the schedule. I'll do that real quick. But Gate of Destiny is likely the next big title match. So there's a lot of options there with it. Um, Masaki Mochizuki is someone that if they kind of figure out a way with the triangle gate that I would, I think that he's had phenomenal matches in that building. Benke case has been big on Benke getting this huge long-term push and he's had a lot of history as well. And the, uh, Osaka, uh, uh Edeon arena, Osaka, he had saw that as well. So, no announcement there. Uh, then they did the big uh, farewell with uh, him and Dragon Daya, Madoka Kakuta, who's still technically not a full member of D Courage, celebrating with their title belts. And listen to the tapes from last week. I was conflicted with the Twin Gate match because I could really see how they wanted to have the image that we got at the end of the night of Yuki Yoshioka, Dragon Daya. Madoka Kakuta all just swaddled in gold and closing the show. So it was that was what about what I expected, and I'll be interested to see what happens with the next uh, challenger. I mean, if they're going to be in Osaka, there's one true boss of Osaka, and he is a former Open the Girl Dreamgate champion. And that's right. I'm saying that you're going to go to Edeon Arena Osaka you better get Magnitude Kishiwada in the main event. I mean, it's been like 16 years since he was Dreamgate champion, but he was Dreamgate champion nonetheless. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., so Gate of Destiny is in November 6th, not in October. So they have time to build that up. Uh, they have an across Fukuoka double shot in there. They have a double header in Kobe Sambo Hall. There's a lot of TV that's coming up in October with Korkin coming up on the 6th. So maybe we might get a lot of Magnitude Kishiwada, or probably we won't. But a boy can hope, can't he? The semi-main event of Dangerous Gate 2022 was for the Open the Triangle Gate Championship as M3K were successful in their second defense with Masaki Mochizuki pinning Ishinahashi after an illusion kick in the Saikyo high kick 
and uh, the other members in this match. Of course, M3K, the champion team, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, and Mochizuki Jr. And the Ihashi family consisted of uh, Ishin Ihashi, uh, Ishin Riki, and, Ko- and Don Fuji. Our big fear about Don Fuji doing this match as a comedy character in drag did not happen. I was pretty trusting and that would that as soon as they were promoting him as don fuji and all the lead up that that wouldn't be the case that we would get a hot fighting don fuji but we didn't really get a lot of hot fighting don fuji or a lot of sasuma yokosuka for that matter this in a lot of ways felt like the rematch from Korkin where Ishinahashi got his first win of his career against misaki mochizuki the father's and son's tag team match and I have to say, Ishin and Hashi, I was the Ishin guy on the program here, so I could take a little bit of a lap here. He came out almost one year to the day. Actually, today as I'm recording the 20th, this is anniversary in pro wrestling. Came out in new gear. He had black pants with uh, pink feathers and paint splotches over it. Uh, popped the top off. He looks like a million bucks, and... This might be a little bit of a dark thing to admit, but I I always want to be honest with you listeners. Uh, I think the best thing to happen to Ishinahashi now, especially coming out of Dangerous Gate, is the fact that his brother retired. Because since Ricky retired, Ishin has just been taking step after step. And it's been... And, and we saw this on display here where you had someone who was finishing up his rookie year pro wrestling... And someone who debuted three months ago, semi-main eventing on this show. And the match really being about those two. We've talked a lot about how Mochizuki Jr. might not have the entering ability of your Takuma Fujiwara's. But he might be the most composed 20-year-old in pro wrestling today, if not the world. Because you would not think that Mochizuki Jr. is a three-month rookie. Given the performances he's had, he hasn't made a wrong step really since debuting and the uh, the focal points of Mochizuki Jr. and Ishin really really developed throughout the match but my favorite thing actually about this match was Ishin Ricky guy's gonna retire in 10 days and it's really something that throughout the history of the dragon system we have had so many wrestling legends or old-timers come through there, and especially on big shows. They love bringing in an outsider to maybe bring in some extra wrestling fans that wouldn't normally be going to a Dragon Gate show. But the problem is that sometimes these, uh, actually most of these times, these veterans are kind of exposed as not really being able to wrestle this style of wrestling. I mean... When, uh, when like Yoshiaki Fujiwara comes in, like he's been wrestling longer than nearly anyone on that roster has been alive. He's not going to do Luchiresu. He's not going to do it. He's Fujiwara. He's going. He's going to do what he did. And it's something that Ishinriki he kind of thrived in this, and his usage of stuff and using like his sumo stuff there did not feel out of place. It felt fun. There was the damnedest uh, flying shoulder tackle that he did off the top rope onto Mochizuki Jr. That you you could tell me that Ishinriki wrestles a full-time schedule 
and is going to wrestle until the wheels falls off here. And I would believe you because he was that much fun in this performance. Like that shoulder tackle might be one of my favorite top rope shoulder tackles of all time. So we have the fact that the, the final stretch here with really Ishin taking it to Mochizuki and having to be killed with fire really, really shows how much he's taken that step forward and ended his uh, rookie year on a very strong note. As I mentioned earlier, uh, starting in Kobe on Friday, he will be on a trial run with M3K. Uh, I did like the fact that uh, that, that Masaki Mochizuki said that Ishin Ruki has to cover the sunglasses, the jacket, and the Razor scooter. So I, I, I respect that. I mean... You don't know this kid's going to work out in your unit. Maybe you, him and your asshole son can't get along. So you don't want to put that investment in there. I was three and three quarters on this. I think I actually, from like a match perspective, enjoyed just the pure father and son's tag a little bit more than this one. But I thought that this was still, I mean, three and three quarter stars. That's given what kind of match this was, given the experience level. And given the stage, I think that, Everyone should be very happy with it. And yeah, we're going to get to see some second generation team ups. And even if it's just for Friday, I am super interested in that. Z Brats versus Natural Vibes. This match got turned into a no DQ match after about two minutes in. Uh, Hio uh, just clothed KZ if a chair when he was like bouncing off the ropes. Uh, Z Brats came out with all kinds of weapons. That went to a that chair shot, expected DQ. Anyone following this feud or this promotion knew that that probably was going to happen as soon as they said this match wasn't no disqualification from the start. So Ryo Saito comes out, restarts it as no DQ, and then this match turns into chaos. You have a big boss Shimizu doing the Terry Funk special with the ladder. And it, it, one of the fun things about Dragon Gate when they use Plunder, like they just, they it, this isn't like. AEW or WWE where they will go and they'll take ladder parks and construct like a special ladder for these matches. This was like a ladder that you would get at your Don Quixote stores. So it was it, it was really kind of wild seeing him do that. And then like right after that, KZ did the silver bullet slingshot senton onto Hulk in a pile of chairs. But the thing was is that Hulk was on the floor and KZ did it from the inside of the ring to the outside, and I don't think there's anyone in recent memory who has done more insane stuff right in front of the ring. Like, not not even necessarily dives, but I mean, comparing this with, like, the Kobe World 2021 match with KZ and Shun Skywalker with the most insane monkey, rim, monkey flip from the apron to the floor, it just is wild stuff, and the the work here for this kind of no DQ match, I was I was enjoying it. That I think I'm somewhat a lower than uh, the consensus with it. It, it. It's something that for me, I do like DG Plunder, and especially in this building. But the finish was something that very rarely does this happen to me with Dragon Gate. But it's something that bothered me. So. The finish of the match, they uh, Natural Vibes was setting up so KZ could do KZ time off a larger ladder. They had two ladders in this match through um, uh, through a table, so they were doing that there. But 
uh, uh, Shun Skywalker's theme came came on, and someone who was wearing a Shun Skywalker mask with a face mask underneath it, covering up his mask mouth, came out, did his Shun Skywalker pose, and stood there long enough for Strong Machine J to get distracted and chase this guy to the back. This let Zebrats get back on offense. They did an insane... Uh, Diamante did this insane single-arm powerbomb off the ladder with KZ. So he, he single-arm powerbombed KZ off the ladder onto Big Boss Shimizu through the table. And that pretty much led us into the closing stretch where Zebrats won the restarted no DQ match after Hio hit a top rope senton onto a pile of chairs in UT. So fake Skywalker. Uh, on commentary, uh, Jay and Hoho were clearly playing this off as not Skywalker. And it's something that I hated this. This was actually, this actually took me out of the finish. This took me out of this. Just because I felt like Dragon Gate, usually when they do these kinds of mystery characters in these turns, they know what works for this audience. They know what gets over and that's why you usually will have someone in a Dr. Muscle costume or Metal Warriors or the Demon Masks. Not as an established roster member. And especially not a roster member that everyone, everyone knows was in America. Wrestling, I don't know when MLW started in Atlanta on Sunday night, but wrestling in Atlanta less than six hours before the show. So... I think very clearly this is just trying to spook out natural vibes. That Jay made a force projection joke about it. I just, it, it's something that unless they're going to go full fake Skywalker and they have a rookie that they wanted to debut at like this, it's, it's just something that I just, it just took me out of it. Like just do, just do Metal Warrior. Like, like, have a Metal Warrior come out, attack, and pull Strong Machine J to the back, and then it'll be like, okay, who's Metal Warrior? An established trope that's been in Dragon Gate for 17 years. Don't do, like, Shun, don't do a fake Shun Skywalker act when everyone is well aware of it, and it's not very clear. Like, the difference between this and the imposter Naoki Tanizaki angle with us, T-Hawk and Naoki Tanizaki was, Naoki Tanizaki is unmasked. So, it was very clearly... T-Hawk in that character. And it just looked like they found this, the tallest person in the back that could get away with it and mask them up to do this distraction thing. I went three and three quarters on this. I know that there are a lot of people that are much higher than this. I've seen some people like call this a match of the year. I think that that's way, way overblown. Uh, I, I do have to say that it will be interesting how this fake Skywalker thing kind of plays out. As I said earlier, they... I'm convinced that this is going to a disbands match. It's just going to be when is the disbands match. And this disbands match has to have Shun Skywalker in it. SBK, not as essential, especially with this kind of excursion, but Shun Skywalker is the major force in this. Maybe that's why they decided that they needed to have a fake Shun Skywalker there as well. The latest in high-end versus gold class happened at Dangerous Gate right before that uh, no DQ match as Gold Class, Naruki Doi, Ben K, and Kota Minonora with Minorita defeated High End. 
the remaining high-end members, Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Kagatora, when Binke scored his first pin as a member of Gold Class with a powerbomb on Dragon Kid. This was my second favorite match of the night behind the Dreamgate main event, and it's something where I wrote a lot about this in the review, but Binke's battle rap character revitalizing his career in a fashion that was really kind of desperately needed has become one of my favorite characters in wrestling. It's something where I find it so kind of bizarre, compelling, goofy, funny, and he just seems like he's living in his own world where he's constantly in battle rap, and it's fantastic, and it's such a complete uh 180 from his Dreamgate run in 2019 which just didn't succeed for many reasons and the central thing about it was the crowd didn't see him as the Dreamgate champion and whenever Dreamgate champion kind of stuff happened like closing shows like writing column columns for like weekly pro wrestling and the uh, Dragon Gate program it the the fans outright made fun of it for a certain point saying he sounded like a dumb jock i remember one quote was that he sounded that he wrote like a 12 year old and after that and after that run he became the most uh, uh disappearing man on the roster someone who has managed to become a, a triangle gate champion and you forgot he was there and it's a lot of that really kind of continued for the last two years but since the battle rap character came about during king of gate season he's become one of the most compelling people in wrestling and i've really enjoyed it and this match ruled i was four and a quarter on it the thing i really really enjoyed about this was after these weeks of minorita just making yamato's life a living hell i mean even going back like into the spring minorita has really kind of teed off against high end uh High end did whatever they could to mitigate and take this guy out. It didn't work until the finish, but it was something that we haven't seen with Gold Class or a babyface act try to do against Gold Class, being like, "Hey, this is four man trio thing. We we can't win. Like the numbers game is at play, and Minerita is so fast. He's going to make us chase him around this building, and then whoever he gets chased disappears for minutes and comes back." incredibly gassed and i just thought that that was like a really kind of uh, fun thing to have in this match and a match that you know we were in otis city mr otis city was in this match and he got to have face-offs with uh yamato which was nice considering how practically invisible naruki doi has been over the last uh really since he dropped the dreamgate belt if we want to be brutally honest about it i mean it's something that Jay was on the show talking about how Naruki Doi has not been as over now as he was uh, two years ago. So it was nice to see that with him teaming and facing up against Yamato. And it's something where I'd, high end it needs to be dealt with one way or another. I don't know what Gold Class really gets out of beating them in a disbands match. I kind of just want to see, I don't know, Yamato turn and then Dragon Kid and Kagatora just go their separate ways with it. Um, it's something where it's just that I don't think you can save this unit. I think that even with the rookies that are there, you, you, you can't just inject 
Ryufuda or Kaito Nagano and Inesmat into this unit and expect anything to come out of it. The um, most prominent rookie that was unaffiliated just went to just went in 3K on a trial basis. So I it feels like that that this could be the conclusion for high end versus a gold class. I still think high end has so many issues there. It it was just a lot of fun. Uh, I was four and a quarter on this. Worth noting here, and again, I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of the episode. Naruki Doi did the bow to the four corners as well as Eita here. Then we get into the undercard, and the one of the undercard matches, Suji Kondo and Toru Washi, the foreman Agon Iso, uh, beat uh, Kung Fu Masters Hoho Lun and Super Shenlong the third with a, with Kondo's King Kong Lariat on Shenlong. I went two and three quarters here. Because of how the show was set up, this felt like an opener match that ended up being match four, which if it was an opener, it would have been fine. But as a match four, not really anything to call home about. Uh, on commentary, uh, the Jay and Jason Lee at this point uh, were riffing on, Yos- on not Yosuke Santa Maria, Super Shenlong third, doing Yosuke Santa Maria moves like the Sky Love and the Lovely Dive. And... It, it, it's something that with uh, Maria, they they kept that character way past its sell-by date, at least in my opinion. it Maria was still over with the fans. It's just like, what do you do with an Exotico character at a certain point? So transitioning back to Super Shenlong third, I think long-term probably doesn't change... Uh, uh, <sighs> doesn't change Yosuke's position on the card. It's known that I uh, that the former Yosuke Samaria or current Yosuke Samaria is uh, Super Shenlong the third, I mean, right after the end of Akatsuki in twenty twelve, uh Shenlong the third got unmasked and wrestled for like a month as the longest name in professional wrestling, the former Super Shenlong the third Yosuke Wanabe. So the, the Jay and Jason played up the mystery for last, but that's something that if you're if you're old in Dragon Gate, you're well aware of, and if you're new, it just is a nice little quirk. Uh, match was all right. It's something where very hard for like part timers, Kondo and Owashi versus Ho Ho and Shinalong to be anything excellent, but this was fun. This was fine. Uh, before that was the touch football match of the evening. Takashi Yoshida, uh, Punch Tomonaga, Problem Dragon, Shachi Hoko Boy, defeated Ultimo Dragon, Ginki Horiguchi, and Kanichiro Rai when, and Konomawa Chikawa when Yoshida creamed Chikawa with the Pineapple Bomber to win this. This was the touch football match of the night. Uh, everyone playing their hits. The best hits on this was uh, Ichikawa hitting a picture-perfect German suplex, the Ina Bauer German suplex on Sachi Hoko Boy, and then fi- fi- and then following that up with a completely failed one on Yoshida, which was almost near fall. I bought that as the finish. That's the wonder about uh, Konamawa Chikawa. He's the best comedy wrestler of all time that, you know, he will get you with certain things like that. And then the actual finish came pretty soon after that. Uh, Ichikawa was trying to do the Shining Wizard that he's been doing since facing... Kijimuto at a Kobe Pro uh, at a Kobe World Weekend, but it took too long, and Yoshida just clobbered him with a pineapple bomber. Uh, the only other thing about this match, uh, Rio Fuda was originally in this match. Uh, Problem Dragon replaced him on commentary. They made a reference to 
uh, Fuda is broken sternum, sternum from earlier this year being re-aggravated, which is a bummer. I mean, the only reason to, in my opinion, to really care about this match was uh, see Fuda in there. I mean, the other seven. If you're watching Dragon Gate for the first time, I get how it's new. But if you're someone who's watched it for a long time, nothing new there. Match two was the only other singles match on the show. Yazushi Kondo defeated Kaito Nagano on Kaito Nagano's big show debut with the Gekko Kujo elbow drop. This was a short little fun affair. Uh, Nagano looked good in his big show debut. They really hammered home on commentary how he wants to be a high flyer. And... He's got a hell of a dropkick, he, and he's got some pluck there. There was, there was like a moment where he his mind was a little bit faster than his body, but uh, it was something. It, it was a solid big show uh, debut for Nagano. It's something that his high flying and crowd connection is going to be the two two things that'll bring him to the dance, especially as a high flyer. So seeing him do beautiful top rope missile drop kicks less than a month in his career showing the precision you're going to see there uh three and a quarter uh yuzushi kanda has been put in this position a lot over the last few years and i thought that it was all pretty good i really really thought that this was a, a good kind of debut and the opener for dangerous gate 2022 was for the open the twin gate titles as uh the Kung Fu Masters team of Jackie Funky Kamei and Jason Lee failed in their first defense with the uh, against Dragon Daya Madoka Kakuta. Kakuta pinned Lee with a snap pile driver. Daya and Kakuta are now the 59th Open the Twin Gate champions. And that happened on the, the eve of Madoka Kakuta's 23rd birthday. So it's the 20th now. So happy birthday, old hip. And this was... Uh, I went four flat on it. I, it, with where it was positioned, and with the fact it was worked around Dragon Daya's knee, he hurt his knee and was off a couple shows in the lead up for it. Kind of limited this from being the reaching the heights that it could. But four stars for the opener, I thought was really solid. I mean, this was as I talked about last week was going to be about Kamei and Kakuta class of 2020 before Daya's knee came into question, but then it became doubly so with that. And, you know, after a summer where Kakuta either looked completely unsure of himself and looked like an absolute rookie at times, or a world beater, he looked like a god here. And he's found the... Uh, Home for him and decourage. Uh, Jay on commentary was openly wondering why he was still listed as an assistant when he basically was the star of this match and the reason why Dragon Daya won the Twin Gate titles. So it was uh, really heartening to see that from Kakuda. Uh, Kung Fu Masters, it was something where I would have liked to see a longer run for them. I get with the gimmick being Kobe base it could have been a little bit different it'd be a little bit difficult to constantly say oh it's a new pop-up shop in kyoto or we are right now in uh sendai and we're up in sendai with the sendai kung fu masters it, it, it's something where you'd much rather have something end uh prematurely than to go on and die an ignoble death so it's something that uh 
it's a bummer about that. But of course, being such a big Kamei guy, I really was hoping he would get a longer run after the Triangle Gate title run he had earlier this year. Was not very long and was immediately put under gold class. But uh, yeah, Kamei and Kakuda were great in this. Da- uh, Daya, I don't know how injured his knee is. I haven't heard from anyone about that. Uh, but they were pretty protective of him, with him on this. And they were very careful. But he didn't seem very limited. I mean, he was pulling off picture-perfect running shooting star presses. And one would guess that, I mean, Texas uh, science classes. But I would guess that if you hurt your knee, you're probably not going to be able to get the spring for a shooting star press as much as you would want. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a long-term thing. And it would, it was a great closing stretch with uh, basically Kamei went for the Project A and then was dispatched. And then Jason got murdered with the Hand of God Lariat, the D3, a move that hasn't been seen that often in Dragon Gate, and Kakuta's best ever snap pile driver. I take back what I said. Maybe he has just the right amount of cushion for that pile driver maybe not maybe his butt's not too big to cushion the fall there because this looked awesome and then they did the rvd delayed cell until uh, kakuda like shoved him off him and pinned him and he looked he looked great it was really again really heartening to see bummer about uh the kung fu masters and it was a fun start to the show i really would have liked to i wonder what that match could have been if there weren't the concern about Daya's knee. But that's not the world we live in. And given the world, I mean, it's the third notebook match I have on this show. The only matches that I was below three stars on were the two completely nothing uh, touch football eight-man tag and Aganiso versus Kung Fu Masters. It was a great show. I mean, three and a half hours. Basically, if you power through it, Three notebook matches and some really bold booking. I mean, I think it's pretty clear at this point that we could say that Dragon Gate is full on with their future focused. I mean, you just look up and down the card and especially towards the top of it. It's not the names that we have seen for the last decade really stepping out. It's the rookies. It's the people under the age of 30. And if business is any indication, especially considering that Typhoon, uh, Yoshioka's first promoted title match. I mean, when you look at the uh, three former Big Six members, Hulk was the only one that was even close to the... Hulk was the only one on the the top half of the card. So it really shows that we are in this new generation of Dragon Gate. Uh, The show has normal uh, Dragon Gate network uh, stipulations. We'll be up on the network until the 26th, uh, the YouTube opener was the Twin Gate match and worth going out of your way to see. A couple news and notes before we get out of here. So, as last week we talked a lot about DGU in USA, the uh, Deadlock Pro and MLW shows happened this week, and I think the Deadlock show goes up on their VOD service probably by the end of this week. MLW... They're supposed to be starting a new season of Fusion, so I guess we'll start seeing the Dragon Gate appearances there when those happen. The big things notes here, and since MLW, I think, is even tweeting about it, uh, Shun Skywalker is now the new MLW World Middleweight Champion, defeating Myron Reed in Atlanta on the 18th. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, I mean, 
Shun Skywalker should win that match. Like, let's not uh, let's not mince words here. It, it if you're listening to a Dragon Gate podcast, one would expect that that Shun Skywalker would be able to beat your um, be able to beat your Myron Reeds. So he is now the NWA, not in MWA, the MLW middleweight champion, and we'll see how they do that. I mean, he. When we first heard news about Shun Skywalker's vacation in America, we were given pretty set, firm, certain stop dates, whereas others that was open-ended. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that with him. And it's something that I think that for Dragon Gate and for the exposure, it's so important for them to have characters that go what characters go out there and win title belts and do that. So. It, it, it's something that uh, is really cool, and I'm certain that Case and I, when this stuff starts airing on BN Sports, YouTube, Tubi, Pluto, wherever they are, we will cover it on the show. One last note. Uh, I mentioned about this throughout the episode. Ata and Ruki Doi did uh, four-corner bows after their matches at Dangerous Gate, and... Uh, Japanese Twitter, the native Twitter, I don't want to say has exploded, but there's been a lot of commentary about doing the four four bows because the four bows usually are when you're wrapping up. If it's either transferring out or retiring or just leaving, that's something that's kind of notable. And it's something that at this time, there's not really any reporting that I can do uh, that I, there's been rumors in the past about other departures and one that would be considered a pretty big one, but nothing that again, I would substantiate at this point. I, it does seem that both Ata and uh, Naruki Doi are on Friday's Kobe show. They haven't been announced for anything this weekend, but it's something that Ata at the very least you know, he he has done so much Noah at this point that I wouldn't be surprised if he already had Noah bookings for the the weekend, but there he is doing that Kobe's Sambo Hall show. And Naruki Doi, I mean, it's something that Naruki Doi has now is at a point where people can speculate on his departure and my big response is Yeah, you know, if he, if it's true and again I've heard rumors about departures, but nothing I, I want to substantiate, and it's just way too soon about that. But uh, if it is Naruki Doi leaving, it's something that I think optically, and especially for like your surface Dragon Gate fan, it might become a big deal. But business-wise, probably not a huge hit, especially in comparison to like Yoshino and Shima outside of like the Nara homecomings. And Doi does have traveling fans to Corican. But again, I just wanted to note that they did the four corner bows that and the native social media speculating that their departure, there's been rumors, nothing that I, I can at this point substantiate. They're booked for Friday and uh yeah, I'm trying to be careful of my words this time because in the past in the summer uh when when folks have aggregated things that we've said on the show, they have not aggregated what we said correctly. So I at this point I'm erring on caution here and want to see how things play out really, but felt like I needed to make sure to note that at this time. But I think that's going to do it for this week on Open the Voice Gate. Thanks y'all for uh, 
putting up with just me this week. Uh, hopefully, Case will be back next week, returning from assignment. I want to get his thoughts on Dangerous Gate since I kind of just did almost all the coverage for it. And other than like DMing with Case, I don't really know his thoughts so far on the show. So hopefully on Tuesday, he'll be back and we'll talk about that. Or at the very least, talk about this Kobe Sambo Hall show and see how Dragon Gate is as they enter the back half of 2022. So that's going to do it. Uh, you can follow the show at Open Voicegate. Case Flow is at underscore in your case on Twitter. And I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open the Voicegate. We'll be back next week. Take care.